Well, welcome to Front Range. My name is Ernest Smith. I'm the lead pastor. We're so grateful that you guys are here. Whether uh, you're joining us in person or maybe you're joining us online, we're grateful to have you. And our hope and prayer is that this become a home for you, a place where you can build community, discover your purpose, and grow in your faith in Jesus. I want to let you know about a couple things that are happening this week. First, we have a uh, community group leaders training. So if you're interested in leading a community group or co-leading a group, um, as Pastor Brandon just mentioned, we've seen uh, some great growth. And, uh, and so we need more groups uh, to be able to, to help people find a greater community and all of that. So if you're interested in finding out more information, you can register. You can find that, that information right there on the screen. Um, and uh, that's not you saying, like, I'm 100% in. It's just you saying, hey, I like people. I have a space that I can open up uh, and I can, you know, follow instructions basically. Uh, and so if you're interested in that, uh, just register and we'd love to, to get you connected. That's this week. And then tomorrow we're starting something that I'm really excited about. It's called Celebrate Recovery. Uh, you have a little card that is on uh, your seat or the seat next to you. You can find out more information there. But let me just uh, kind of share this. Uh, Celebrate Recovery is something I've, I've been a part of uh, and known about for, uh, I don't know, a couple decades and, and have helped served and, and all of that. And when we started our church, uh, which by the way, in three weeks, we're going to be selling, celebrating our 10 year anniversary. Uh, when we said, yeah, yeah. Uh, super excited. Don't miss that day. Uh, but when we started the church, I, I've been praying since day one for Celebrate Recovery. We don't start anything unless we have the leaders that, that God has placed it on their heart. So we've just been praying for the right leaders. We've been praying for the right timing. And tomorrow night, we are launching it officially. So uh, here's what Celebrate Recovery is. Uh, when we go through life, all of us have pains and, 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 and hurts and just junk that we go through. And, and all of that stuff creates habits and hangups that, that all of us wrestle through and deal with. And Celebrate Recovery is an opportunity for you to find freedom and healing from those things. So if you'd say, hey, maybe I have a, a, an unhealthy relationship with alcohol or drugs, or uh, when you look in the mirror, you have a, a poor self-image of yourself, or there's mental health concerns, or you have an addiction to your phone or anything that you would say, this is a habit, or this is something that's causing me to not be the best version who God's created me to be, uh, then I would encourage you to check out Celebrate Recovery. Um, just show up. And see what God does. See how God brings healing and freedom into your life. Uh, that starts tomorrow. And I'm super, super excited. Uh, okay, by show of hands, how many of you hate snakes? Anybody? Yeah, okay, most of us. Uh, I really don't like snakes. Now, something I chose to do as a parent when my kids were born is I said, hey, I want to do everything I can to teach them not to have any fear. Okay, now you're going to question my parenting after I tell you uh, some of these stories. And so I thought, okay, what, what are people scared of? I think fear holds us back from doing God's will and from stepping out in faith and from all kinds of stuff. So how do I teach my kids not to be fearful? So the first thing was heights. So I would have them like jump off their changing table into my arms and, you know, we would... I know, I'm a terrible human, but we would do these things and then we would graduate to higher heights. Uh, and eventually we were jumping off when they were really, really little, uh, like 20, 25 foot rocks into bodies of water. And I'm like so proud of them and you're judging me and it's all good. Uh, and then I thought, okay, what about spiders? I hate spiders. Uh, so I thought, let, let me teach them how to not be fearful of spiders. So in South Carolina, we have this spider called the banana spider, and it's huge. Uh, we have a picture of it uh, that you can see, and it's, it's massive. Uh, it is not poisonous, by the way, okay, just so when I tell you the story. So I would be carrying them. This is how small they were. They were like little, little, and we'd walk up to the spider in their huge web, and we would touch the spider, you know, again, trying to teach them not that fear. But with snakes, I'm good. 
And I don't want to get near snakes. I don't want to deal with them. Then we moved here, and our backyard had this tiny little sliver to open space. So we had snakes all the time. I mean, every kind of snake. And uh, some I I let live, and others um, I didn't. And so uh, they would always come. We finally had one that that he just kept coming back to the same bush. And I'm like, you know what? I need to conquer my fear. Uh, So I did research. I figured out what kind of snake it was. It wasn't poisonous. I got these massive gloves on, you know, because if it bit me, like, I'm going to be okay, you know, type thing. And I reached my hand in this bush, and I grabbed that snake, and I pulled it out. I'm like, yeah, sucker. And I walked down to my neighbor's house, and I let it go under their fence. Sorry to my neighbors. Uh, and then the next day, that same snake was back in the same bush. So I'm like, what better opportunity to teach my kids how to conquer their fear than right now? Their dad has already conquered his fear. So, so I grab the snake again. I call the kids out. And then Wyatt, he grabs the snake. And then Waverly, she grabs the snake. And then we walk it down to another neighbor's house and let it go right there. Then about a month later, my daughter's seven years old at this point, And we go outside. And before I could see it, she sees a snake, a snake in the grass. And she runs over and just grabs it. It's like, Dad, look, without me having any research done on this snake or anything like that, I'm like, awesome. I just created Steve Irwin, you know, like (laughs) really, really cool. Now, the snake was not poisonous and she was okay, uh, but I hate snakes. I hate snakes. And I think most people, most of you raised their hand saying you hate snakes as well. Most people do. And maybe part of that is because of today's story. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter three. We're right now in a series on the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. We're looking at humanity and uh, what God has done, how he's created all of us, and then the purpose for all of us. And today's chapter is really, really important. Last week, we talked about choice and how all of us have a choice. And then that choice is going to play itself out today. Humanity, out of all of creation, has this unique status and responsibility. Uh, You've got rain is meant to fall and rivers are meant to flow. They're subject to their slaves to gravity. You know, you've you've got uh, flowers that bloom and trees that that produce fruit and all of that's based on their genetic code. You know, you've got lions that roam and birds that fly and all that's built on their, their instinct that's inside of them. And for us as humans, we're, we're subject to gravity and we have the instincts and we, we have all of that as well, but we have something that everything else doesn't have, and that's choice. And what we do with that choice determines everything. And so what we looked at last week is how when God created Adam and Eve, he placed them in this, this garden of Eden. There's this beautiful place. And he says, hey, you can eat of every tree except for this one tree. You just can't eat from this, this particular tree. What God is doing, he's giving them this gracious reminder that I'll give you everything. Like it, you'll have an incredible life, but it's within this dependent obedience on me. Like you have to have this dependence on me and you have to be obedient to me. So you can have everything you want except for this one thing. And if you take everything you want except for this one thing, it's going to be amazing. But if you don't, it leads to death. That's where we go with the story. Genesis chapter 3, look at verse 1. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, this is an interesting introduction to a weird creature. 
right? We don't know much of its origin. We know two things about the serpent. Number one, God created the serpent. And number two, it is subject to humanity. We understand that based on what God has called us to do. But what we find out later is this serpent had sinister plans. We, when you read more of scripture, you find out that the serpent is actually Satan. And so Satan has this, this plan, this, this plan to devise evil and, and bring evil into the world. And so he has this conversation. The first question that he asks is, did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees? Well, no, he actually do, didn't say that. God said you can eat from all the trees except for this one. This is not the point of the sermon, but it's really, really interesting and fascinating that this is still what Satan does today. Satan wants you to question God's word and question God's goodness. Like that's his whole point. If I can get you to question God's word, did God really say? Then you'll start to question God's goodness. He still does that to this day. Did God really say to love him above everything, above your spouse, above your kids, above your job? Did God really say tithe your money? I mean, can I tithe like my time and my energy? Did God really say to give my money? Did God really say to love my neighbor? I mean, maybe he said that, but that was before he created my neighbor. You know, did he, did he really tell me to like love this person? Satan is still doing that to this day. Or he's saying, question the word of God. And if you question the word of God, maybe you'll start questioning the goodness of God. I mean, come on, Eve. God said you can't eat from this tree. Like, what kind of God is that? Is he really that good? He should allow you to eat from anything. Now this back and forth between Eve starts to happen. And Eve is like, yeah, God did say we can't eat or touch that tree. So now she's already adding words to God and what God said. Uh, God never said you can't touch the tree. He said, don't eat the fruit of the tree. And so God, then Satan says, well, come on, God, God knows that like, you're not going to die. In fact, when you eat it, you're going to become like God. And then look at verse 6. This is how Eve responds. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So it says when she saw that it was good and it was pleasing to the eye, and it was good for wisdom, she wanted it. Now, these are all things that are good. These are all things that actually God wants you to have. Like when God created the trees in the Garden of Eden and all of that, like he wanted them to have something that was good to the eye, that was pleasing, that would be good food, and all of that. God wants all of that, but Satan says, hey, come my way, do it my way, and I'll give you what God already promises you. Again, something he still does to this day. Where Satan says, hey, I know God wants you to have love and relationships and peace and all of that, but just do it my way. But you'll find out, and we all find out, anytime we do it his way, we do it outside of that dependent obedience on God, it leads to disasters. And then we have this, this last part of the line where it says, after she ate it, she took and gave some to her husband, Adam, who was standing right there with her. Now, that makes me ask a lot of questions. Like, like, why was Adam just sitting there when, when Eve and the, sa- the snake are having this conversation? I'd be like, hey, I don't think animals are supposed to talk. You know, like, you got to say something. But you got to remember, okay, you got to give Adam some grace. You got to remember, Adam's standing there, Eve's beautiful, and she's naked. So he's just looking at her. <laughs> he doesn't even notice the snake talking over here or anything else. He's just like, oof. Sorry, that's how my mind works. How do we know they're naked? Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized, hey, yo, we're naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. I wish I would have heard that conversation. I mean, like, oh, 
Oh, like whatever. Sorry. All right, verse 8. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hide. This is really important. Because up until this point, they have had this intimate relationship with God. Like they've been able to walk with him, to talk with him. And now they're hiding. Like they're hiding from their creator. Why did they choose to hide? I think the answer to that can be found in another passage in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, if I can get it. It says this. It says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because of all sin. So here's the moment where sin enters the world. Immediately when they disobey God and they take of this fruit, sin enters the world. And when sin enters the world, there's consequences. That's the result of sin. When you sin, there are consequences. And those consequences lead Adam and Eve to then hide from God. They had this great relationship. They experienced intimacy. And now they're scared. Now they're fearful. Now they're, they're, they've got shame and guilt and all these other things. And so they choose to hide. Last week we looked at how you and I, we have the ability to choose. But those choices come with consequences, both good and bad. So what is the consequence of sin? What are the consequences of sin in our lives? I mean, like when you look at the world around us, we experience the consequences of sin all the time, right? Like I don't think there's a person sitting in this room or watching online that would say, uh, our world's not broken. Like all of us, when we look at the world around us, we say, man, it's pretty messed up. Do you agree with me? Like it's, people are pretty broken. And it's created a lot of mess. Like as beautiful as our world is and as beautiful as humanity can be, our world is still very, very broken. And it's because of the consequences of sin. I mean, the, the anger, the vitriol, the, the, the divide, the, the, the choosing sides, the, the, the hatred. I mean, all of the stuff that you and I see around us, all of the brokenness is all because of sin and the consequences of sin. So what are those consequences? I'm gonna give you four. Four primary, there's a, there's a bazillion consequences of sin. I'm gonna give you four primary ones that you and I experience. Number one consequence of, of, of sin is fear. Fear. Look at verse eight again. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. So he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid. And we experience fear because of our own sin. Like when we're fearful, not of like a snake or not of spiders or of heights. When we experience fear in life, it's because of sin. We don't want to be found out. We don't want people to know our true selves. We don't want people to know what we've been looking at or what we've been doing or the thoughts that go through our mind. Like we're scared that our spouse will find something out or that our best friends will find something out or that our boss might find something out. And because of that fear, we then sin. It's like this weird cycle that happens. Fear, a sin creates fear. And then because we're fearful, we try to hide things and cover things up. And so it just keeps this cycle going in our lives because we're scared. We're scared of getting caught. We're scared of being found out. We're scared of what sin can do to us. It's a consequence 
of sin is fear. Another consequence of, of sin is isolation. Isolation. Look back at verse 10. He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. They hid from God. This is the first moment that humanity is hidden themselves from God, and we've been doing it ever since. When we experience sin in our lives, we, we tend not to run to God and to say, God, please forgive me. God, I'm sorry. But what we do is we run from him. And when we run from God, we also choose to run from community. We see this all the time in the church where people will go to one church, whether it's ours or somewhere else, and then they'll leave that church, and then they go to another one, and then they go to another one, and then another one, or they'll leave their community group, or they'll stop serving, or whatever. And you can ask them in that moment, what's the reason? And they'll give you some response. And almost always, you find out later that there was something else going on. There was something that they were ashamed of. There was something that they had been dealing with. And instead of running to God, instead of running to the church, they run from it. Like we want to create a place where people go, man, this is who I am. And I'm not going to isolate myself. I'm going to run toward health. I'm going to run toward healing. I'm going to run to Jesus and I'm going to run to his body. It's one of the reasons why we've been praying for and we finally created Celebrate Recovery is to say, man, all of us are broken. We're all messed up. We all have issues. The only way forward, the only way to healing is to admit that and then step in, not run from but a consequence of sin is isolation. Another consequence of sin is guilt. Look at verse 11. It says, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. It's the woman's fault. Amen. Amen. No, I'm just joking. 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 Last, last service, only like two dudes laughed, and all the rest were like, oh, I ain't laughing. That's funny, though. <laughs> Verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, it's the serpent. He deceived me, and I ate it. Whenever you begin to blame, whenever you blame somebody else, you're experiencing guilt. It's real easy to point the finger of somebody else. Why? Because it means we don't have to deal with our own stuff. We don't have to admit like, what we've done what we're going through. But you've all experienced, every one of us has experienced guilt. You know, it's that feeling in the pit of your stomach. You're like, man, I hope nobody finds out about this. Or when somebody finds out about it, you're like, I hope they don't tell anybody else. Guilt causes us to blame. It causes us to project onto other people. It's a consequence of our sin is that we say, no, 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 it wasn't, wasn't me. It was them. So it's another consequence. So you've got fear, you've got isolation, you've got guilt, and then the most apparent consequence is death. It's death. So right after this, God hands out punishments to the serpent and to Eve and then to Adam, and then he kicks them out of the garden, which ultimately is breaking their intimate relationship with God. When he kicks them out of the garden, they're, just not, they're not just no longer amongst probably the best fruit trees and all of that the world's ever seen, but they're not in an intimate relationship with God. And that ultimately is what death is. Death is a separation between us and God. And mankind has been seeking for that relationship ever since, has been longing for that relationship ever since. It's why man has created religions and all of that, because we think maybe I could just reach to God. But the only way to God is for God to reach to us, to send Jesus to die on the cross for us. But death is that 
consequence. But death is not just a physical death. Uh, they, they didn't die immediately, but they did eventually die. Uh, but most scholars would say this was an emotional death. This was a relational death. This was a spiritual death. All sense of the word, they died. So Ernest, where's the hope? It's kind of depressing. Like, here's the consequences of sin. Have you experienced fear? Have you experienced isolation? Have you experienced guilt? Have you experienced death of something? All of us have. So where's the hope? I love this passage in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. It says this, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So as in Adam all die, so it's saying because you and I uh, are, are humans because we were born. We're born with sin because Adam allowed sin into the world. He took part in it. And then that sin has now been passed down through every generation. It's why people die, right? Because sin causes death. And so sin, here's, he's saying, I'm comparing the two. We've got Adam and we've got Christ. But there's a massive difference. With Adam, you didn't choose. With Adam, Adam chose for you. And therefore, sin entered the world. All of us have sin in our lives. But with Christ, if you choose him, you can have life. Through Adam, we experience death. But if you choose Jesus, you can have life. It goes back to that conversation about choice. You and I have a choice. And if we choose Christ, the result is life. I love this passage. Go back to the Genesis one. This is a passage that I think so many people, they just read over and they kind of skip. But there's so much here that's relevant to us right now. Verse 14, it says, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this. So this is God, you know, casting out his, his punishments. He said, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Some of you are like, what does that mean? Well, this is the first reference that there's going to be a savior. Jesus was already referenced very early on, Genesis chapter 1. We talked about that in the first week, how there's multiple references to the Trinity, to this, this God, this one being, but multiple persons as Jesus is a part of. But this is the first time where there's like, hey, there's going to be a savior. He says, there's going to be enmity between you, Satan, and the offspring of the woman, which we now know is Jesus. And he says, you're going to strike his heel, which is going to cause injury, but he's going to crush your head. When does this happen? It happens on the cross. On the cross is when Jesus' heel was struck. It's when Satan thought he won. It's when, when Jesus dies on the cross, Satan's like, there we go. Now I'm the winner. Now I can be God. It's kind of like, like this guy named Nick Young who played for the Lakers. Anytime I can, I can knock on the Lakers, I'm going to do it. And so here's a, here's a shot from Nick Young. All right, post up. Oh, shoot. Oh, he's it. No, he's not in. So just let's replay. Nick Young for three. Yes, sir, I got it. No, I, I don't got it. I don't got it. That's Satan right there. It's the Lakers pretty much. Right, that, that's literally, he's like, I got this, Jesus dies, but here's the deal. He rose from the dead three days later and that crushed Satan's head. That was the last thing that he had on you. He has nothing else on you now. Like he has nothing that he can hold against you because death has been defeated. That's who Jesus is and what he's done. His heel might've been struck, but he crushed Satan at the end of the day. And so what does he offer you? What does he bring to you and I? Again, it goes back to choice. 
We have the choice between sin and the choice between Jesus. So what does Jesus offer you and I? This is a question that a buddy of mine asked me a, a little while back. We were sitting down, and uh, he's an atheist, and he said, Ernest, I got, why, why would I choose Jesus? He said, I got, I've, I've got everything. Uh, and he does. He's got the car. He's got the family. He's got the house. He's got the job, the 401k. Everything that the world tells you you need to have, he's got it all. Like he, he's got loads of it. He's like, so why do I need, I'm pretty happy. Why do I need Jesus? It's very stark contrast to what most of my conversations are where people are like, I don't know where else to turn. I'm like, okay, Jesus is easy. And he's like, ah, I'm good. I don't need to turn anywhere. What does Jesus provide me? What does Jesus do? Why would I even need him in my life? So here's what I'm gonna do. And this, I think this conversation is relevant for every one of us in here. Now, some of us in here that we are in that, that camp of atheists or, or an agnostic. I know many of you are. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you're here. Like the fact that you show up blows me away. And I'm so thankful for you because I was in your seat at one point. I would go to church not believing what was being taught, but I knew there had to be something more. So I was just trying to figure it out. So the fact that you're here, man, I'm so, I'm so grateful. And there's others of us that we are followers of Jesus. And I just, I, this conversation that we're about to have is important for every one of us. Because no matter whether you're a follower of Christ or maybe you were at one point and because of hurt in the church or something else in your life, you've walked away, or maybe you've never followed Christ in your life, this conversation of what does Jesus give is so vitally important. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk through each one of the sins and the consequences again and then what Jesus offers us if we so choose. So the first one is sin results in, in fear. But Jesus offers you and I security. With each of these, there's going to be extra verses on there. I'm not going to go through those. You can take a picture of the screen if you want to be able to read those later and, and dissect those later if you want to do that. But sin equals fear. Jesus equals security. Security in who you are. That you are good enough. That God didn't create you as a mistake. That you might have been an accident from your parents, but you weren't an accident of God. And when he sees you, he says, it is good. It is very good. Security in your relationship with God, meaning that you can't do anything for God to love you any more or any less than he does right now. Like, that's so freeing. Like, you can't do anything that God's going to be like, oh, man, I love you more now. Or God's going to be like, ah, oh, I kind of love you less now. That's not how he works. The way he loves you right now, that's it. It's to completion. So you have security in that relationship with God. You have security in your purpose, that your purpose isn't found in, in your workplace. Your purpose isn't found in how well your kids are doing. Your purpose is found in who God created you to be and what he's created you to do. We talked a little bit about that in week one. Security in your relationships. You know, when you're, when you're secure in your relationship with God, meaning you know who he is, you know what he, what he gives to you, you know, you know his character and his faithfulness and his justice and his love and all of that, and you're secure in that relationship, the beauty is you don't look for that anywhere else. Like you don't have to look for those things in your spouse, which is really freeing for your spouse. Like you don't have to look for those things in, in, a, in a friendship or some other relationship where you know, you're, you're, you're longing for something that they can't give you that only Jesus can. And because they fail at giving you that, that's why marriages are in upheaval so many times. Like when I do marriage counseling, one of the things I talk about is, man, are you finding everything you long for in Christ? Because if not, you're gonna look for it in your spouse and your spouse is gonna fail you. They just are. 
And what freeing, what a freeing moment it is to know like, I don't need that in Sarah. And Sarah doesn't need that in me. Of course, we love each other and we, we want to have joy and excitement and fun and all of that. But I don't need her for anything because I find it in Jesus. It's really hard to get there, but that's what Jesus offers us, is security. Sin results in isolation. Jesus offers us relationship. He offers us relationship. Sin causes you to hide. Jesus invites you into a relationship. Sin causes you to run from God, to run from people. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter how broken you are. It doesn't matter how messed up you are. Some people think, man, I've got to clean up myself to be able to come to Christ. No, you don't. You just come as you are. God will do everything from there. Just come as you are. Sin uh, results in guilt. Jesus offers us grace. Grace. Grace is undeserved favor. It's you receiving something that you didn't, you didn't deserve. Grace is so freeing. It's so freeing. Have you ever received grace before? Maybe it was like when you got pulled over by a cop and they just gave you a warning, you know? Or maybe it was a friend offering you forgiveness or somebody else in your life. If you've ever received grace, you know how freeing it is. But guilt, man, it just holds you down. It's like when we go through life, we're like picking up all this weight from the harm that's been done to us, the harm we've done to others, the sin we've committed, and all of that. And we're like carrying this heavy load. And Jesus is saying, just give that to me. Like, bring that to me, and I'll give you grace that will set you free. And then sin results in death, but Jesus offers you life. He offers you life. I love this passage, John 10.10. It's one of the first passages that I memorized because it's really easy to memorize it and because it's really impactful. John 10.10 says this, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is Jesus talking. And when he talks about the thief, he's talking about Satan. So he says, Satan has come to still kill and destroy. Now, when we think about that, and here's why I think sometimes as followers of Christ, we, we, we probably mess things up a little bit. When we think of Jesus coming to still kill and destroy, we think that like in, in huge terms. Like we talk about like, man, Satan's really attacking me right now. Have you ever, you ever thought that? Have you ever said that? Like, well, man, Satan is like, man, he's coming after me hard right now. And that for sure happens. But let me tell you the number one way that Satan still kills and destroys, it's subtly every day inviting you into temptation. Because sin is what steals from you, it's what kills, it's what destroys. So when he says the thief comes to do that, he's not just talking about those big moments where, man, you're really feeling attacked. He's talking about every day. Satan is going, oh, just one more drink. Just one more look. Just one more. Or don't do this. No one will know. No one will take notice. No one will really care. Just don't do that just today. It's just today. It's just a subtle invitation into sin. And that sin is what steals and kills and destroys. And then Jesus says, but I have come that they may have life. And life to the full, that phrase life uh, in the Greek, it literally means this, this prosperous, this blessed, this genuine, active life. And he's saying it's not just a life that I'm going to give you one day. Like you accept Christ and then you die at some point and then you get to go to heaven and have this eternal life. That life that he's offering you is for today. It's like right now you have an opportunity to experience life to the full. Life to the full. But the choice is yours. 
We can choose sin, and that will result in fear, in isolation, in guilt, and in death. We've all experienced that, and for some of us, we're experiencing it right now. And then Jesus says, but the choice is yours. You can also choose me. And he will provide that security, that relationship, that grace, that life to the full. The choice is ours. And the choice isn't just one time. The choice is like every day. And if you're anything like me, it's multiple times a day. It's like the temptation is there. And like, okay, Jesus, I'm choosing your way. I'm choosing what you want. I'm choosing your heart. I'm choosing your will. I'm choosing your purpose for my life. So it's every day and multiple times a day where you're saying, I submit to you. I choose to follow you. I choose to give in to you. I choose you. And when you choose him, you choose life. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And God, thank you so much for your word. And God, just, uh, man, this, this whole conversation of your creation and how you created us and you gave us choice. And, and God, we mess that up so often. And yet even when we mess it up and it results in the fear and the isolation and that guilt and shame and, and in death, God, you're there offering us life. You're there offering us security. So we don't have to question our relationship with you. We don't have to look for what we need in you and other people. We don't have to question who you've created us to be. We have security in you. We can have a relationship that you invite us to come as we are. And you'll do the rest. You offer us grace that is freeing, that takes the weight that we've been carrying off. And you offer us life, not just one day life, the life that starts today. So Father, I, just, I pray for each one of us that God, you would help us discern where we are. For some of us, maybe you are in that boat of, man, I, I just, I don't have any faith right now. Or maybe you had faith at some point. Maybe you were following Christ at some point and because of the pains of life or rejection of church or something. And if that's you, I, man, I'm so sorry. But God is saying, come home. He loves you so much. What does it mean to come home? It's recognizing that we're all sinners, all of us. But that sin has separated us from him. It's created that divide. But he loved you so much and knew that we couldn't reach up to him. We couldn't do enough to get to him. So he came down here. And Jesus lived the perfect life and died on the cross for our sins. He paid the price for us. But he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead to show his power over sin and over death, conquering the last thing that Satan had, crushing his head so that we could have life. Come home. If that's you and you'd say, man, that's where I'm at. Coming into this place, just feeling far from God, feeling distant from him. Ernest, today I want to choose life. Today I want to choose him. Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's a recommitment to him. With every head bowed, eyes closed, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but if that's you and you want to choose life today, just raise your hand. Just want to raise your hand in this moment. Amen. 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 Father, thank you for each one of these individuals. If you're watching at home, you can simply text the word follow and the number on the screen. I just want you to know God sees you and he loves you. 
He's done everything to offer you this life, the security, the relationship, the grace, and so much more. So God, I pray for all of us that you would tell us what our next steps are. God, for some of us that we're not experiencing those things, if it's because of sin in our lives, Father, may we confess that to you. May we turn that over to you. May we choose you today. May we choose you and later today. May we choose you tomorrow morning. May we choose you at lunch. May we, every, every moment, God, may we choose you as Satan tries to attack, as he tries to still kill and destroy. May we reject his temptations, the things he offers us, the things that look pleasing to the eye, and all of that that Eve saw. May we choose you and trust you to give us exactly what we need. Father, we thank you and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.